I was laying in bed in pain on my wife's birthday, and she's going to like hold that over my head for a long time. And she was taking care of me, but she's a good woman. Um, but Halloween is a time when, you know, people get dressed up. You know, some adults like to do it. Definitely kids like to do it. We went out in our neighborhood. A good amount of people in our neighborhood were doing uh, candy. They were trying to be safe and healthy and all that kind of stuff. And it was a good time. It was a little bit of, of normalcy after just some craziness that we've dealt with for these past, you know, nine, ten months. And it, it was just good to do because I, I don't know why, but I like uh, playing characters, if you will. No, nope, we got a fire truck coming out. Um, they'll be buying just a little bit. They're doing their job. We're thankful for them, but I'm gonna pause for a second. All right. So, um, but there's been times in my life I've been involved in different, I guess it's old fashioned now, but it used to, when I was in college, we had a lot of, uh, uh, skit groups or drama groups when, you know, back when video wasn't quite as easy to make and all that sort of stuff. And so we would do all kinds of funny, goofy skits and also serious skits. But there's been plenty of times that I like to dress up and I was asking, uh, Sherry, it's like, what are some funny costumes that I've worn before? And she pulled out a few of them or reminded me of them. There was one when I was at Run Up Bible College, now it's Mid Atlantic Christian University. We were digging through some old closet and we found these old basketball uniforms that were the schools back then. It was this bright dark or, you know, bright dark. That doesn't really make sense, does it? This, this, Dark green, I guess. I don't know what color green that is. Kelly green, maybe. Kelly green uniforms with some gold trim. And they were these tight, I mean, tight jerseys. And then they had these like satin shorts like they used to play basketball in back in the day. And so, of course, we said we're putting them things on. And like me and a bunch of guys, we had uh, our midnight madness for basketball season kickoff. And I wasn't playing that particular year. So we, me and a bunch of guys, we put on these tight shorts and it, I'm surprised we weren't arrested or thrown out of Bible college because it was very gross. And I mean, this tight shirt, thankfully I was in much better shape back then. And, you know, but that tight jersey, I mean, things were tucked in. We had the socks pulled up to our knees. We were running around like, you know, crazy folks. And then there was another time we had a, a 70s theme thing and I went to a thrift store and I found, I, actually this was the 80s thing. I went and I found these blue pleather pants and also probably should have been arrested for wearing those. Put those on. Um, those are kind of Sherry's favorites, by the way. Anyway, just saying. Hey, just saying. But anyway, and then uh, another time in particular, um, we had a, a, a Halloween thing at school, and me and some of my friends decided we were going, this is going to test your knowledge of old, old school rap, if any of you are old school rap fans. Does anybody remember the Fat Boys? Fat boys. All right. So we were the fat boys. We took pillows under our shirts. We found these old, these big gold chains and we found the bucket hats. And man, we were, we were the fat boys. I could not beatbox like the dude from the fat boys. He was a, a legend. But anyway, but we had a good time. But the thing is this, most of us, whether you ever put on a costume or whether you ever perform in a play or a skit or act or something like that, or if you're too old for Halloween, we still sort of like to conceal ourselves and our identity sometimes. We still sort of like to trick people into thinking maybe we're something we're not or we don't want them to know what we truly are. But here's the truth. If we follow Jesus, if we follow Jesus, undercover Christianity is not an option. If we decide to follow Jesus, undercover Christianity is not an option. And I believe many times... Um, I'll say in the American church because that's been my experience. I don't know if it's like that in other places in the world. But I believe oftentimes in the American church, we struggle with hoping that there's different tiers of Christianity. 
It's like, I'd like to sign up for the A tier or the B tier or the C tier where, okay, C is not quite such a, a distraction on my life and I can kind of take it and leave it as I want. You know, people have made jokes for years about, um, you know, uh, CE Christians, Christmas and Easter Christians and things like that. And, you know, people who show up just a couple times a year and maybe some of us wish that that was what you could choose as your faith. But if you're going to follow Jesus, we see the example is you come and you die and you take up your cross and you follow him. And so we cannot pretend that there's some undercover Christianity. It's not an option. And Jesus in his ministry taught this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Right before that, he says that um, we are to be like a city on a hill, or if you have a lamp, you don't put it under a basket and hide it. And here's what he says in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, God says through Jesus, his son, that if you're following him, if you're following him, then people need to see your light shining bright. He doesn't say if you want to. He doesn't say when you feel like it. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't say if you're an extra special good Christian. He says, let your light shine. No matter who you are, no matter who you are, let your light shine. So we're commanded to let the world know who we are. And that can be difficult. There's no more hiding. It's time to come clean if we're a follower of Jesus, if we haven't already done so. So the question I want us to think about for the next few moments is this. How do we live a life of full disclosure? And here's what I mean. I've told some of you guys this before. I've said it in sermons. Is that when I met Sherry, pretty quickly, early on, I was like, I like this girl. You know, I, I like this girl. She's, she's the one. And, you know, and so once we started dating, I, I basically told her all my dirty laundry and there was a whole lot of dirty laundry because I didn't do laundry. You know what I'm saying? I had a, a messed up life in my past. And I said, she deserves to know everything before she decides if she wants to commit to me. And if she wants to check out, I understand. I mean, I literally felt that way. And so I told her one night and I said, I did this and this and this. And, you know, eight hours later, and I'm kidding about that long, but I said, I did this and this and this and this. And she said, how can I hold that against you? Because God's already forgiven you. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And I was like, man, not only is, yeah, that's right. I mean, she didn't want to miss out on all this too. So, I mean, you know, (laughs) but I knew I was like a, a woman like that, a woman like that. I need to hold on to. If, if she has that godly mindset, if she has that godly mindset, it's ever since she's always shown me grace. She's always shown me grace. So I gave her full disclosure. I said, look, this is me in my past. Here's what you need to know. And she, she accepted it. But that's what we need to do in our life of faith is have full disclosure so that we help as many people as possible get to know and follow Jesus. We have to give full disclosure of who we are in Christ and the fact that Jesus is our Lord. And here's some tips that I believe we find in Colossians chapter three. The first one is this. Get your mind out of the gutter. Get your mind out of the gutter. Here's here's what we see. Colossians chapter three, verse one. Start there. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
Now I want to notice what Paul says to the church at Colossae and what he says to you and me. He starts off, he says, if you have been raised with Christ. Now he's writing to the church. He's writing to Christians, which the automatic answer to Christians should be absolutely what? Yes, I have been raised with Christ. But he's saying, have you really given your life to Jesus? Have you been raised with Christ? He says, if you have, then do what? Seek and put your mind on things that are above. Now, we have to look at the greater context. Whenever I teach, I try to very often remind people is you don't need to take just what I say or what anybody else says. You need to examine the Word of God. And you need to back up and you need to look at the context of the verses around what you're reading. You need to look at the greater context of the the chapters and the books and then the entirety of the Bible to understand. Because there are a lot of people who believe a lot of messed up things about God's Word because they pick and choose a couple of verses here and there and then they put them together into their own theology and their own way of thinking. And that is dangerous, deadly, and damning. And so we want to look at the context. And so in the context of this very letter that Paul writes earlier in Colossians 2, we talked about it just a few weeks ago. He ties in, he's using language that brought, that points their mind back to what he said in chapter 2. Okay. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, you have to go back to chapter 2, verse 12, where he says this having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him, that is Christ, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And so if you want to absolutely know the answer to if you have been raised with Christ, you have to say, was I baptized into the death of Christ and raised up to walk in a new life? If you cannot say, yes, that is what happened to me, that I was raised through my faith in the power of God, not in myself, then you can know that you have been raised. And so the next statement applies to you and me. If you cannot say yes to that answer, then you need to get that right. And I would absolutely love more than anything to help you get that right. But if it, if it applies to you, here's what you need to understand. What does he say next? He says, if you have been baptized, live like it. He says, if you've been baptized, live like it. If you were buried with Christ and then raised through your faith in the power of God, just like Jesus was raised from the dead to give you new life, if you were, then live like it. How many times, I I was one of those people that were guilty. When I was baptized into Christ, I wanted to really follow Jesus, but really quickly I got away from it. I gave into temptation, I tempted other people, and I quickly sort of walked away from, from living a faithful life a lot quicker than I wish I had of. And it took a while for me to come back and and turn my life back over to God, repent and come back to Him. But the truth is, is that if we're baptized into Christ, we need to live like it. He says, seek the things above. What populates your brain more than anything else? Is it things of heaven? Is it spiritual things? If that seems sort of ethereal and it seems sort of hard to, okay, what is really heavenly? What is really spiritual? Let me just sort of sum it up like this. This isn't the only thing, but this is a good place to start. Do you think about people's souls? Do you think about your soul? Do you think about more about where you're going to go to lunch after we get done here or if you're going to go to heaven and your neighbors are going to heaven? Don't get me wrong. I like lunch. Lunch is good. You know, God made us to eat lunch. 
But He did not make us for this world. He made us for heaven with Him for eternity. And that's what we need to think about. And that's where the majority of our thoughts need to point back to. Instead of forgetting about lunch, let's say, okay, who can I go to lunch with and make sure that they're happy on the way to heaven? Or help them get to know who Jesus is so they can go to heaven one day. Do you think about heavenly spiritual things rather than things of this earth? Set your minds on things above, not this earth. This earth is not your home. Yes, it's a place that we're going to be for a few years, but compared to eternity, it's nothing. It's nothing. And so when he says, think not about uh, things of this earth, he's basically saying, get your mind out of the gutter. Get your mind out of stuff that doesn't really amount to anything and focus on what does matter, what does last, things of heaven and whether you and your friends and your family and your neighbors are going there. And it's so important because what is he saying in this passage in earlier in chapter 2? He says, because you died. He says, if you've been raised, that means that you died based on what you see in Colossians 2. Because you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You're raised to a new life, it says at baptism there in Colossians chapter 2. Eternal life begins then. If, if there's nothing else that we get out of this today, I hope maybe if you didn't know this truth that you'll know it when you leave. You are not living one day hoping to experience eternal life. If you are a Christian, you are already living your eternal life. Because what happens at baptism is your spirit is your spirit dies and your spirit is raised to a new life, but this body has got to catch up one day. You know? And you know, the other morning I thought mine was catching up a lot quicker than I'd hoped. But you know, it, it's better now. But the truth is, is that when you become a Christian, you are already living your eternal life. It says that you're seated in the heavenly places with God. Your life is now hidden with Christ, and you're just waiting until either Jesus comes back or you die and this body, you know, goes and, and rots. Or Jesus comes back and changes it in the flash and the twinkling of an eye. But that's what you're waiting for. You're already living your eternal life if you're in Christ. And that's what you and I need to remember. We are not waiting for eternity. We are already experiencing eternity in our spirits and waiting for our bodies to catch up. And, and that's why we struggle because we look in the mirror and we don't look very different, do we? We don't look very different after we come up out of the waters of baptism. And as we're living for Christ, we don't look very different. But you are different, church. You are different and it will be clear when Jesus returns that you are and you were and you have been different because the outside will match the inside. And that's what we're waiting for and longing for. So here's a lesson that I hope we get. Live your life in such a way that people aren't surprised to see you in heaven. <laughs> I mean, you know, you imagine, you know, walking down, maybe there's really streets of gold, I don't know exactly, but you're walking down the streets of gold and somebody, you see somebody that you knew here on this earth and, and they're like, and they, they start thinking, am I in the right place? <laughs> you know, like, I thought it was getting kind of warm in here. I did not expect to see Bobby here. You know what I mean? Live your life so people aren't shocked that you are in heaven. You know, when we all get there. Live your life in such a way that it, it's not a surprise that you follow Jesus on this earth so that you bring a little bit of heaven to earth. Yes, you're going to fall. Yes, you're going to stumble. Yes, you're going to make mistakes. Yes, you're going to fall short. But by the grace of God, you keep getting back up and growing and moving closer to God. Make sure you live your life so that other people aren't surprised to see you in heaven. Make sure that your actions show where your heart is. And here's how. Get ready for this. The next idea is this. 
get naked. Oh, hey now, hold up. Yeah, I said get naked, Facebook. But if you're at home, that might be a little more practical. But here's the thing. Before we move on, though, what was my first point? Does anybody remember? Get your mind out of the gutter. So do that before you talk about getting naked. But here's what the get naked part is. Look in in chapter uh, 3, verse 5. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, but when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices. Now, this passage, depending on the translations you read, you know, I, I did a lot of study. I've studied these passages many times before, but I went back and refreshed my, my memory. But there's a couple of different analogies that are given in this passage of Scripture, depending on the translation that you read. And so it may or may not stand out. I'm reading from the English Standard Version uh, this morning. But there's a couple of analogies that are given here in this translation. First is put to death. He's saying your old way of life, put it to death. Okay, that fits in with the whole baptism thing, right? Because you died and you were buried, put it to death, and then you were raised to life. But he says, continue to put it to death. But the other analogy that you see, depending on your translation, it might be clear, it might be a little fuzzy, is this. Take all the old clothes off. That's why I said get naked. Don't, don't get all crazy, I'm okay. But that's why I said get naked. Spiritually, get naked. Take that old stuff off. Take that old stuff off. The ultimate point, whether you focus on the um, put to death or the take the old clothes off, the point is this, get serious about your faith. Get serious about your faith. Do either of those sound like we should take it lightly following Jesus? You know, the first list of sins that he gives there in beginning in verse 5, they may seem a little more intense. He talks about sexual immorality. The Greek word that's uh, sexual immorality right there is a Greek word that's basically pronounced pornea. Sound like any English word we use? Porn. That's where that word comes from, where we get the word pornography. It comes from this word that's translated sexual immorality. But it's not just taught. Nobody's off the hook just because maybe you don't struggle with porn. That word is used to talk about any type of sex outside of the bonds of the way God intended in marriage. It's used in multiple places throughout Scripture to describe different forms of, of sexual sin. He's saying, make sure you get rid of that. Take it off. Put it to death. That sexual immorality. He goes on and he, he talks a little bit about um, uh, impurity and, and just you know being an impure person, impure mind. Talks about lust. And I think most of us understand what that's talking about, about lusting after a person or a thing that we don't have. Evil desires. Greed, which he says is what? idolatry greed which is idolatry so putting money and things and possessions and maybe even people above god and putting them in a place they don't belong and they cannot fulfill you but ultimately what he's saying is this get it off of you get it off of you get it off of you put it to death because god's wrath is coming for that stuff God's wrath is coming for that stuff. If you have that stuff on you and in your life, then it's gonna, you're gonna experience God's wrath, he says. You can't have it on you. 
And here, this is how beautiful this is. This is how beautiful this is. Paul just weaves this idea through the Scripture for us. He's talking about here in Colossians 3. He's pointing us back to Colossians 2. He says, remember, Jesus cut that stuff off of you when you were baptized. He says, when you were baptized, it was like Jesus came and cut the sin away from you and threw it away from you. Now, that's my paraphrase, but go back and read Colossians chapter 2, beginning around verse 9 and following, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. It says, Jesus cut that stuff off of you. You were clothed in Christ to talk about Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. You put on Christ. You were clothed in Christ. So take those old clothes off and put the new clothes on. But for some reason, for some reason, just like in our physical lives, we do the same thing in our spiritual lives. How many of us can openly admit there's some old, nasty clothes of ours that we just don't want to get rid of? Any y'all got that? Don't be acting all high and mighty. I, I, I know you got something. You got that pair of old sweatpants that could actually stand up and walk out of the room if you don't watch them. Anybody, anybody got those? You know, that, that type of thing. Guys, I don't know about y'all. I collect t-shirts and, you know, I got t-shirts from back when I was 12. You know, I try to put it on. It looks like a belly shirt. You know what I mean? It's, you know, I don't, don't want to get rid of it because it's comfortable. I know it's raggedy. I know it's old. I know it's dirty. But we find comfort in that because it's familiar, because maybe we've got it worn in just like we want, whatever it is. But we do the same thing spiritually. We know that the old clothes need to come off and that Jesus took them off. But then we find them laying. You know, it's like there's a show that Sherry made me watch a few times and it was called. I, I looked it up and now I forgot it again. It was called what not to wear any of y'all see that show i don't know if it's still on or not but where they would go and they would surprise people who had really bad fashion sense and then they would come in and they would you know they coach them up and they help them buy new clothes they throw out all their clothes and first they make fun of them for their clothes <laughs> you got to entertain people and then they would throw out those old clothes and then they would give them new clothes and a makeover and all this sort of stuff and it was really neat, but so many people, even though they saw themselves in the mirror with these nice new clothes that were flattering to them, they fit right and they look professional, they still would look at that old pile of junk and they'd be like, mm, that looks good. I need to put that back on. And, they, and some of them would fight tooth and nail. And we think, man, that's ridiculous. You look like garbage. You look like hot garbage the way you used to dress. But now you look good. But do we do the same thing spiritually? We walk around thinking we look fine in our old sin, but we look like hot garbage. We really do. We look like mess and, and, and everybody else sees it. We think we got everybody fooled, kind of like the emperor's new clothes, that, that old uh, legend or fairy tale. And, but we need to understand we got to get that stuff off. He says, that's who you used to be. You used to walk in that stuff. Past tense. Don't go back to that anymore. He said, you used to walk in that. Take it all off. Kill it all. The little stuff too. Because then he lists a second, uh, not a level, but a second list of sins here in the verses. Let's go over those real quick. He says, anger. Anybody ever been angry? Anger. Wrath. Malice. Now, malice might seem like it's the same thing, but just to get a little more clarity, it's the idea of having ill will towards someone. It's having the desire to see somebody hurt, whether you're the one that does it or not. So when you see somebody who sort of falls on their face, do you get a little bit of a smile, a little tingle in your heart like the Grinch? You know, like that? That's what malice is. And slander and obscene talk. I believe it's, you know, maybe it was a prophetic thing. I would have not been shocked to open my Bible here in 2020 and seeing Paul say, 
basically Facebook, y'all. <laughs> you know? Because that's what that list kind of is right now. It's people who are angry, people who have wrath, people who have malice, people who slander one another and obscene talk. That's what a lot of times Facebook and social media, Twitter has become, especially in this season of life that we're in. People are frustrated and bothered by the pandemic. There's racial tension, there's political tension, and people don't view each other as human beings and they just type at each other and sling hate and vitriol and spew intense words at people because they can't look at them as a human being in the eye. And then unfortunately, it still even spills out into real life too because we do it so much on Facebook and on social media that when we do get around people, sometimes we can let that hatred spill out onto real people as well and then it only makes the problem worse. But here's the thing. Even though our world seems to have lost civility and they've lost the ability to disagree politely and kindly, the church must lead the way in doing it the right way. We must lead the way in doing it the right way. Because we, we the church, if you have been raised with Christ, set your minds on things that are above, not on earthly things get your mind out of the gutter and start leading the way for other people love people even when they disagree with you love people even when they're wrong because guess what you're probably wrong too <laughs> love people even when they're wrong and they disagree with you we have been freed from that old way of life and we don't have the chains on us that everybody else has and so we are held to a higher standard and we're called to love people even when they may be our enemy or we think they're our enemy. We are called to love people. So here's the thing. How do you respond? How do you respond on Wednesday? I'm talking about this coming Wednesday. How do you respond on Wednesday if your candidate doesn't win? I'm not asking you to say who your candidate is. But I'm asking you, honestly, as a Christian, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, how do you respond on Wednesday if your candidate doesn't end? I will tell you already, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be angry on both sides of the aisle, so to speak. And there are going to be people who are going to spew hatred and rage and malice and anger at all kinds of people because their particular candidate did not win. But you and I as a church have to remind ourselves and remember that Jesus is king of our kingdom. And he is not up for election or re-election. And that he alone is God and king and that no matter what, he alone is victorious and he alone sits on the throne. And so even though voting is important, being a good citizen is important, it doesn't matter who wins an election because his, he blows out the popular vote by anything. He is God, He is King, and He is the leader of it all. So how do you respond on Wednesday if your candidate doesn't end? What will ours as the church, I'm not talking about people who are outside of Christ. What will ours as people of faith, what will our Facebook posts and our tweets look like on Wednesday? How will you respond? Set your minds on things above. This world is not our home. Remind ourselves of that. So family, make sure we get that old clothes, that old stuff off and we throw it away and we put it to death and put on something in its place. Here's the last point. Get dressed up. So I told you to get your mind out of the gutter, to get naked, but now I want you to put something on in its place. 
They just can't have you walking around naked looking crazy. Look at verse 10. And have put on, I know that's an incomplete thought. Let me go back to verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and is in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so that you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Here's what I want you to walk away with. In Christ we have been clothed with Jesus. We've already talked about that passage in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. In Christ, we have been clothed with Jesus. And we are being remade and renewed in God's image, it says there in Colossians chapter 3. We're not bound by our earthly identities anymore. We're not bound by our race, the color of our skin. We're not bound by our differences. We're not even bound by our political parties. Praise God Almighty. If we are in Christ, we are one family, one body, one blood. It's all that matters, the blood of Jesus. And we as a church must lead the way, even when our world is broken. Our world thinks that the enemy is looking at them or is on the other side of their Facebook page, but the enemy is trying to destroy us all, and that's Satan. And we attack the wrong people. We attack the wrong things and we attack the wrong ideas when really if we surrender to Jesus, then all these issues would be healed and resolved and and come together. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but we cannot do it. We've been trying to do it for 2,000 years and we failed. We failed. But when we surrender to Jesus, that's when it all gets better. That's when it all gets better. And so we are one in Christ We as the church are to be one and lead the way for our world. We are the example. We are the example. So here's what that looks like. Get dressed as God's chosen ones, like it says here in this text. That's how we identify now. Holy and beloved is what he says there in in chapter 3. Holy and beloved. Look back there at it. Put on then, in verse 12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's what we are. We're not named or bound by a political party. We're not bound or named by the color of our skin or our beliefs or anything like that. We're bound by holiness and being beloved by God. And that's what matters. And he says, put on compassionate hearts. And that literally is the idea of a heart where compassion lives. Do you have a heart where compassion lives or do you have to go and try to make it fit all the time? Start allowing God to work on your heart. He says, put on kindness. And that's literally the idea of moral goodness, integrity. Do you have integrity? Are you the same person when everybody's looking and the same person when you're alone? Do you have that kindness in your life? He says, put on humility. And here's a lesson that all of us need to learn is that humble people heal people. 
If more of us practiced humility, there would be less of these arguments and this hatred that's flowing back and forth because what normally happens is if you insult me, then I've got to try to insult you more. But if I just absorb your hate because I know you don't really hate me, you hate the enemy, but he's, you don't understand that he's your enemy and you think I'm your enemy, if I just humbly absorb it, then that takes away a lot of your firepower. And so humble people heal people. And he says, put on meekness. And meekness is a word that's used to describe Jesus. And a lot of people think it's weakness, but really it's talking about power restrained. It's great power, but knowing when to let it go and when to let it out and how to use it. And so he says, put on meekness. Here's one lesson that we need to learn is about meekness is this. You don't have to respond even if you think you're right in every situation, in every disagreement, in every argument. And then he says, bearing with one another. And listen to this. If you have a complaint against someone, it says blast them into oblivion on Facebook and call them an idiot. And then hit unfollow. That's not what it says, is it? That's not what Paul said. He says, if you have a complaint against someone, forgive each other. And I want to point out this. It does not say, wait till they come groveling and admit they're wrong and then forgive them. It just says, forgive each other. They may not be humble. They may not be repentant. They may not care. They may hate you more than they did when they hurt you. But forgive them just as Christ forgave us. Not some half-hearted, little silly, you know, weak-wristed forgiveness, but full out, I will die for you forgiveness is what it says. And if you want to you want to debate that and say, okay, whatever, but it says as Christ has forgiven you, that's how you're to forgive. Yes, you might get slapped in the face. Yes, you might get your beard pulled from your face. Yes, you might get a cat of nine tails on your back. But if that's what it takes so that somebody can have a home in heaven, so be it because Jesus did it for you and you and I don't deserve it. So love people the way that He does. That final piece of clothing to put on over all of it is love. It says put it on over everything. It binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so today and tomorrow, especially on Tuesday and Wednesday, if you want to be fully known for who you are, get your mind out of the gutter, get naked, get that old stuff off of you, and get dressed up in what really matters and what really changes lives. Jesus taught in John 13, verse 34. He says, A new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. And I've already said it, but i got to say it again. So that means sacrifice. That means lay down your wants. That means lay down your desires. That means lay down your wishes so people may know Jesus through you and in you. And that list above is what love looks like. Put on meekness and compassionate hearts and kindness and all these different things. So here, here's, here's what it is. I'm wrapping it up. The world needs to see you and I for who we really are. And that's clothed in Jesus. They need to look at us and they need to see Jesus. And it's time for us to take off the masks and take off the costumes and take off the disguises and put on Jesus and remember, if you already are in Jesus, to remember that you are in Jesus. And every day live and walk in love. 
That's what the command is. Not the suggestion, but the command. And in John 13, verse 35, right after what Jesus previously said just a moment ago, about the new command I give you, love one another, He says, they will know we are Christians by our Facebook posts. No, He didn't. He said, they will know we are Christians by our love. Nothing else matters but loving and knowing God and having other people know and love Him and being known by Him and loved by Him. That's the only thing that matters. So set your heart, not on the stuff that's in the gutter, but set your hearts and your minds on things that are above so that as many people as possible can enter heaven and know the goodness of God and that this world can be healed if you and I will just let people see who we really are. And that's people who are full of flaws but covered by the grace of Jesus. Let them see. Let them know. If you need to surrender your life to Jesus today, I'd love to talk with you about that when we get done here. I'll be there. I'll be glad to talk as long as you need to. But maybe the challenge for a lot of us is this. Maybe we've sort of been playing hide and seek. We've been having disguises on. We've had masks on. We don't want people to really know we're a follower of Jesus. And now it's time to take all that stuff off and just let everybody see. Maybe today you need to say, look, I'm not going to be who I used to be. I used to walk in that way, but Jesus took care of that for me. I don't have to go back and take those raggedy clothes and put them on, those stinking things. They've been destroyed. And as much as I want to go back, Jesus said, you don't have to do that. You're covered in me now. Maybe today you need to say, I'm going to live it again so that people can see Jesus in me and through me. Would you pray with me? God, we don't deserve moment of your time that you've given us eternity we don't deserve an ounce of your forgiveness but you poured it on us we don't deserve a single drop of the blood of your son Jesus but you poured it all out so that our sins could be washed and made whiter than snow we don't deserve a second chance but you give us a thousand pray, Father, that we would do all we can to let people see who we are in you, that we're covered by your blood and your grace and your mercy, and that they can be too. We love you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.